Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is three emerging supply chain trends with my friend, Steve Well, How's it going, Steve? Hey, it's good, Joe. How are you? Doing great, doing great. I'm excited to talk to Steve about this topic. We've been We've been blathering about it offline for weeks, months, so finally we're going to try and do a podcast on it. But before we get started, Steve, please introduce yourself and what you do. I'm Steve Elwell. I do a lot of improvement of businesses, a lot of manufacturing work in the United States and a little bit overseas. Uh, Typically what will happen is a company will uh, have some challenges in dealing with its current environment and its profitability, and uh, I work with them to uh, improve those things. Excellent, excellent. So we won't go into great detail about Steve's background. He's a good friend. He's been on my podcast many times. In fact, Steve was my first guinea pig. He did my first episode, <laughs> my first podcast with me. So he's tolerated a lot on this podcast. So I don't know who's just, tolerated what. So if you want to hear more about... <laughs> If you want to hear more about Steve's background, you can check out some of our other podcasts. But uh, Steve, please just give us a little thumbnail about you and your background before you start, started your current biz. Oh, okay. I uh, I started out, uh, went to a small liberal arts college in the Midwest to study economics and management. I uh, went on and uh, got an MBA from uh, Wayne State in downtown Detroit. I worked for uh, a couple of billion-dollar companies, uh, international manufacturers, uh, and decided that wasn't for me, left and became a retained search consultant doing work in North America, ended up owning that firm. Uh, and then later on, went on and got into uh, sales management, uh, product development. I founded a couple of companies with with another gentleman uh, and turned another. Uh, I've worked in software, logistics, manufacturing, aerospace, automotive components. Anything that's I mean, broken. You, you na- yeah, you <laughs> name it. Uh, I've been the CEO or chief operating officer of seven different companies. <laughs> yeah. Steve is a, a good friend of mine, but and even though he's younger than me, I always call him a mentor because I always he's my sounding board. He listens to my <laughs> dumb ideas and makes them better. <laughs> so oh. so usually. <laughs> so Steve and I have been talking about this topic offline for a while, and that's just these, some emerging trends. So I think none of these are going to be – well, one of them might be a little shocker, but I don't think these are things that are unheard of. We're just going to explore them a little bit today. So – Steve, what is the first emerging supply chain trend? Uh, it's all the fun things going on in uh, in Asia and the shortening of the supply chains as a result of that, and probably a few other things as well. Yep. So the first the first thing we want to talk about is 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 China is a higher risk, and I think this was all uncovered in recent uh, the last few years with COVID. It just made it more obvious that we have a challenge with our supply chain. That so much of our supply chain, so much of our trade is with China, and it has all become higher risk. I think I probably said this on my podcast before, but my daughter's in procurement, and she was buying PPE, specialized PPE for the vaccine company she works for, and she said, the stuff is made in Wuhan. <laughs> so, And what was shocking to, I think, most of us here in the U.S., we're saying, wait, I'm sure we have, like, stores of, I'm sure our there's some sort of strategic supply of, you know, of masks or whatever. Nope, it's all in China. So 
we've all of a sudden realized that's, you know, the COVID, wherever it started, that's a challenge. That's a, that's a conversation that's separate. We know it came from China and we know that we don't like how it started. <laughs> it no. came from a market or came from a lab. We don't like it. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, they don't know, like it either. It- yeah, I guess if you, I guess if you step back and look at the bigger picture of what you're talking about, it's that, you know, there was a point in time when China was the place to go to have, to have your, you know, your parts and, and, and products manufactured. Right. And the reason was things like, um, friendly government. They wanted the, they wanted the business there. They had, you know, a, a, they wanted a young to grow workforce trade with the West. Yeah. Well, you know, labor arbitrage, you know, they were, you know, chasing the, chasing the dollar. Or the, the people here were chasing the, the low wage dollar or, or yuan or whatever. And it was, it was very, you know, it was, it was very inexpensive to buy things and bring them here. I mean, to the extent that you get some right. of these really crazy supply chains that you hear about. Well, I think that's changed. Yeah. We it certainly has changed. The, again, the current regime is very different than the last regime. By the way, I was in preparation for this. I was on YouTube watching how people pronounce the uh, current leader's name. All sorts of news agencies screwed it up. So I'm just going to call it the regime because <laughs> it does not come right off my, my English tongue very well. I'm but sure it's pronounced a lot of ways you don't want now. me to say. Yeah. yeah. So the regime right now is is a bad one. And you know we, we're seeing billionaires like Jack Ma who were once very public fade from public view. A lot of them, not just not just one or two, lots of them. We're also seeing you know, religious persecution, cultural persecution of the Uyghurs. I recently read that uh, companies are now being assigned a Communist Party co-CEO for companies that previously didn't have that control over them. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn announced that they're removing um, the platform and they're going to re- rebrand it as a job board over there, but they will, Chinese people will no longer be able to communicate directly with Western people as well, as easily, won't be able to share ideas, there won't be articles, all that other stuff. These are all, and the, the aggression we're seeing with Taiwan, with Hong Kong, these are all disturbing. This is it's what you called, Steve, political risk. <laughs> when we were prepping, you said... Yeah, it's it's what it is. It's political risk, and and what's happened what's happened is, you know, they've borrowed they've borrowed billions and billions of dollars. They can't go on borrowing forever. They know this. If you go and look at the real estate portion of their that everybody's talking about, that's fine. But they're going to have to what they're going to have to do is redistribute money, and that's what they're doing. And uh, they can't do it the same way right. that we would do it here. They're just gonna they're gonna take it. They're gonna take it from large private companies, and they're gonna provide that money. To the the poor folks in uh, in China in an attempt to kind of buy them off so that they don't riot in the streets. I mean, more than they already do, and that, that you know they have to do that from from the standpoint of stability. But it's political risk for anybody doing business there because you if it if if right. that ends up happening to you and your money, well, guess what? You know, right. you're not going to get it back. Right. So the first big problem in China is the political risk we just talked about, and you, you t- and you alluded to the second one, which is housing, the housing and kind of financial bust that's happening there. The first company, that the largest and first company ever grand that started having financial problems. Mm-hmm. That isn't the only Chinese company that's got too much leverage and who's perhaps cooked their books. <laughs> well, no, there's just the first big one. I mean, it, which is fine. I mean, look, it is what it yep. is. When you when you have to prop up your GDP through uh, construction of real estate you, and it gets overbuilt, at some point you run out of people to live in all these in all these buildings and, right. and homes that they've and it, it, the, the market can't keep going that way. 
Chinese people also are more likely to invest in real estate as it is seen as a very safe market where their stock market is not. So they have a disproportionate amount of money invested in second and third homes. Well, in some ways, it's their only market. I mean, where are they going to go? They're not. There are right. capital controls in that country. They're not allowed to invest overseas. So, right. yeah. So the first one is the political risk. Second is this this financial housing bust that's happening. The third one I want to talk about briefly is the population problem they have there. Yeah. So you have inverted population pyramids that's gotten quite a bit of ink and 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 in coverage of late. And, and what that is, is that as each gener, you know, in their case, because of one child and a lot of other reasons, they have not replaced their population. I mean, each successive generation has gotten smaller now for a while. And the problem with that is, is that you, you can't have a consumer economy, you know, but prior to age 40, people have families, they have kids, they buy things in support of those families. And then after age 40, they tend to buy less. Well, their population is is rapidly moving past age forty. A lot of folks are saying and it's the top fastest top aging. Heavy. Well, it's the fastest aging population, fastest aging population on Earth, and potentially in the history of mankind. I mean, I don't know if you, but at the end of the day, they're not going to have the cheap labor, and they're certainly not going to be consuming their products internally. That makes them an export economy in order to survive, which leaves them incredibly vulnerable to their largest customer, us. Right. Right. And I think unlike here, we have a lot of a lot of wealth among older people here. That's not the case with the older generation in China, necessarily. They're still relatively poor. We have millennials and millennials are a large generation. They're not quite as large as the baby boomers, right. but they're they're pretty big. And they're certainly enough to, to right. maintain our, our uh, consumer led right. economy. Right. So we've talked about the political risk. We talked about the population. We talked about the, the financial and the housing problems that are dragging their whole economy down. And then last but not least, talk about like the water problem and the, the, the infrastructure problems that they're having. Well, the water problem, the water problem is tradition has been going on over there forever, which is why they built all the dams. They have water, but not where they need it. And it's not near the arable land that they need. It's not near where their populations are. And it's so the problem is that it makes it harder to grow food. It makes it harder to have industrial growth. It makes it harder to provide the fresh water. Infrastructure wise, if we start talking about things like energy, I mean, what we're seeing right now is just by virtue of uh, improper maintenance or, or uh, bad luck at nuclear power plants, the, uh, the situation with Australian coal and the embargo on that, whatever, they're, they're, they're not getting enough. In addition, they're vulnerable from the from the oil perspective because it's all being shipped in from the Middle East. And right now we're having rolling blackouts. So you can't make stuff in China or anywhere if you don't have power. So, you know, right. you can you can sort of address what all the issues are around that, but at the end of the day, it's unreliable power, which makes it hard to run a factory. Right. You know, Steve, it's funny. Uh, we talked about these housing crises. So one of the things that I read over the weekend, you know, we've seen this aggression that we're seeing like with Taiwan and other, oh, there's all these conflicts all the time where they're just kind of violating boundaries. Right. And one of the things that uh, is related to that is this um, nationalism. They want, they want to be able to wait, wave the flag and say, Hey, we're, we're, we're pushing our boundaries. Right. And sure. that's to stave off some unrest internally and they said if you keep if you bought a condo on the 40th floor and the power's out and you got to walk up 40 flights of steps <laughs> well, flights of stairs you know look you if go you, 
Yeah. You know what? I, I'm a little unhappy with that. Well, if they're mad at somebody else, if they're mad at somebody overseas, they're probably not going to be quite so mad with the people, you know, up the street. You know, it's a matter, it's, it's misdirection. I mean, it's, 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 that one's as old as the hills. They've been doing it forever. Not just there, everywhere. Yep. And got, I've spent a lot of time in China and I enjoyed my time, wonderful people, and I wish them well. But right now, they are not a good, they're not a good place to have your supply chain. I think we've all learned that over the last year. We didn't even talk about congestion. We'll get on that in a second. <laughs> so, so what's the second big emerging trend that you want to talk about today? Surprise, surprise. When you have that kind of risk and the problems going on over there, and you need a steady supply of parts or products, and you don't, you're not getting it because your supply chain is too long. Well, the answer is make it shorter, take the risk out of it, bring it closer to home, bring it home. Right. And that's, there are a lot of folks talking about that and it's going to, it's, 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 it's been happening. It's going to continue to happen and probably at an increasing rate. Right. So when we bring something, when you say bring it home, usually what we mean is that'll mean North America, which could be U.S., Mexico, Canada. It also could be, you know, if it, depending on the country, we also could be doing business with Latin America. Well, beyond, I guess Mexico's part of Latin America, we could be talking South America and Central America. And it makes sense. Culturally, I think we're very close. Travel-wise, we're real close. It makes sense. We're in the same time zones. A lot of the stuff works. It's easier in a lot of ways to work in Mexico than it is to work with China. Sure. Well, <laughs> and, look, uh, look, less risk. Look, buyers will buyers of these products will take a look at whatever each of these geographies has to offer in terms of cost and quality, in terms of labor, uh, what sort of talent or what sort of skills yep. are available there, infrastructure, political stability, monetary stability, as the case may be, and then they'll evaluate that and, and choose those places that they think are the best represent the best yep. value for them. That may mean, you know, right now there's tons of ships sitting off the coast of uh, of California waiting to be unloaded. To the extent that, that that's not the case on the East Coast, and I don't know whether it is or not at this point, maybe it's Kinda okay is. to put stuff on. Maybe, <laughs> okay, then maybe it's not okay to put that stuff on a ship. Maybe it has to come over a land border. Right. That's, that's a, te- I see that as a temporary problem. That'll eventually, you know, that'll get solved here probably right. pretty quick. But it, you know, in terms of where it ends up being, probably the low, the very low value add, simple to manufacture things are not coming to the U.S. because it's less expensive to produce it in Mexico and Latin America, where they have, you know, a lot, you know, a large young workforce that can work for maybe not a right. lot of money and and doesn't have or require a ton right. of skill for those products. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. So we've always used labor arbitrage, right? So we've moved stuff over to China with the idea that it's cheaper to do it there. And even when you add the logistics costs and the time, it's still cheaper. There is no real advantage cost-wise being in China, as we discussed already. There's could be some opportunities still in Mexico and other places, but um, it could also be somewhere else in Asia. But I think in general, people are looking I know people are moving to Vietnam. They're moving to you know other places in Asia that are less risk. But I think it's really easy to say if I move it close, if I move it to Mexico, if I move it to the U.S., if I move it to Canada, even it's close, which is less risk, less time to move it, hopefully less logistics costs, <laughs> and I've just taken a lot of hassle out of it. No, I think that's right. But I also think, and, and I'll throw this out there. I want to say six weeks ago or so, I had a conversation with a friend who had moved their manufacturing to India. And I said, well, is, isn't, well, where does that stack up relative to China? And he said, well, it wasn't even close. I mean, China wasn't even competitive with the kinds of costs and things they were getting out of India. 
that's I throw that story out there as as an indication of just how far it's gone relative to China. Now in the U.S. and in 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 the Western Hemisphere, you want to produce over here. Okay, what costs do you get to get rid of? Well, you get all the you know a big chunk of the logistics costs go away. The, the business of putting things on ships, with the exception of you know some of the places in South America, right. that goes away. The fact that it's closer and in the same time zone goes away, which makes for a, a much easier coordination of those supply chains. You know, the ability to the ability again to do without the truck entirely, maybe you, you know, or excuse me, the ship entirely. Maybe you can move by train. You know, I, I'm not entirely sure what right. the possibilities are there, but at the end of the day, if you can. If you can shorten that up and get rid, you know, take advantage of all the cost at, you know, and time, no floating inventory, all the things that you hear about for, you know, we've been talking about forever as people complain about things going to, going to Asia. Suddenly they're, right. they're all back on the table again because, you know, you can, you know, you get to put that money back in your pocket because you don't need to deal with that stuff. I think, I think a lot of it's coming back to North America. Right. When you talk about India, I think there's less risk with, I mean, they have more of the rule of law that we're comfortable with also. I mean, well, we, we yeah. get it. Yeah, they no, they have, yeah, and they're fine. They have, I mean, they're good. They have their own problems, but I mean, they have infrastructure issues. Right. I mean, you know, you just talk about, right. go back, go back to from a, mutual, a mutual friend of ours and designing uh, truck axles for use in the India market. I mean, the stories you hear about that are just... You're crazy. Like what are you talking about? So Right. Well, it it's it's interesting with you you mentioned the the problems we have with the port congestion. No, that that has that has woke people up. And we've always talked about how do we how do we manage more effectively? How do we manage more efficiently? I think in this last few years with COVID, almost two years now, hard to believe, we're more concerned with resiliency. How, how do I bounce back, right? How do, how do I deal with a situation that is uh, arisen? And, and, you know, I've used this term a million times in my podcast. I think people probably are sick of hearing me say it, but we are in VUCA times, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And this isn't the last VUCA times we're in. But next time, we like to think we're going to manage it better. And actually, we managed it pretty well. None of us are starving to death. I think I, I got my COVID-19 on, so I can say I was not starving during this time. We did well, but we want to do better. Look, it's, it, it all, you, you've heard me say this a thousand times, and that is you have to balance robustness and efficiency relative, you know, with respect to the environment that you're in. Nobody saw the, nobody saw the COVID-19 right. th- thing happening. It, it threw, you know, it basically Bill, Bill it took Gates the chest. Show. Yeah. Well, okay. But, he, yeah, no, but none of us listened. Shame on us. But we, we took the chessboard and threw it up in the air. So what do the rules of chess have to do when the pieces are scattered? You know, the system that was, that was, that was built to handle these things in a, in a very efficient way were not, was not built to deal with the kinds of craziness and, and, right. and of, of COVID. And, and okay. Fine. Right. Now, what do we do? And the answer is: now that we've been through some of this, we hey, this is a real possibility. It's happened. It's not some. It's not some pipe nightmare. I mean, it. Now what? These kinds of things happen. Probably right. it'll happen again, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, and and we should construct our supply chains in a way that that are more robust and that can tolerate, you know, more variability in the inputs. And you know, I was. 
you know, it's this business of, of, you know, these long supply chains where you, it was, I think you talk about it, where you take the piece of fruit and you ship it halfway around the world to, to add relatively little value is, is overly complex and extremely low value add. So I, I just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Steve, it was posted on LinkedIn again. I saw it. It, it was peaches grown in Argentina shipped to Thailand. So the peaches were shipped to Thailand so they could be put in little plastic snack pack things. And they're like the fruit snack packs that you put in your kids' lunches and then shipped to the U.S. for consumption. And you're looking and go, wait, wait, wait a sec. We grow pears. <laughs> we grow yeah. peaches, right? So you think to yourself, the pe- people people all across the nation saying, these, these peaches that I'm giving my kid, those could have been grown in your backyard for God's sakes. Instead, they were grown in Argentina, shipped to Thailand, and then shipped here. <laughs> And I don't, and honestly, I don't have a problem with, with accountants and analysts going, Hey, this is short term cheap to do this right. because we can do this. But right. what I do have a problem with is when they say, well, we're going to do all this stuff. And then that supply chain breaks down and people whine because, you know, Hey, it doesn't work anymore and it's not cheap. Well, right. of course not. You know, it's, it was never robust. It was a deal based thing as a short term deal, whether the people, you know, invent or went in it that, that way or not. Because it takes right. very, very little change to cause something like that to not work anymore. Right. Well, and again, it's a, we'll get to uh, this analysis of this stuff in a minute, but it, it's, it speaks to, I can do that with my snack packs because the world is not, and the United States isn't going to shut down because we didn't get our fruit snack packs. But when you talk about um, critical, critical things, strategic things, and I'll throw like the chips, right? We needed chips to move, build our cars, right? And you say those didn't get made. Well, that's, that really, that means I didn't sell a $40,000 vehicle or better yet, you know, parking lots of $40,000. Well, and if, well, and again, this, this is the, this is another core principle. You need a hundred percent of the parts in order to make an assembled product. Otherwise it's not <laughs> right. fully personal. And then it's like, well, I'm not missing, I'm missing 2% of them. Well, guess I don't need the other ones too until I get the 2%, you know, so, which is, which is, yeah, the, Steve, which I'm going to sell you. I suspect I'm sell you the that joy brand of, new SUV for sixty grand, and, yeah, and I'm going to get you the chips for it in a few weeks. <laughs> well, you know we're we're here, you know we're here in the Detroit area, right? And and what are you seeing? Well, you know if you order a car from us, we'll give you a thousand bucks. It's like, yeah, that's not the same thing as getting a car delivered to you, you know. And you look at the OEs putting right. out numbers like, yeah, we produce half the cars we did, you know, the pre. I'm like, oh, geez, really? And and we all know what the impact of a of a production drop like that is in that industry. It's catastrophic. And it's all, right. you know, it's all because of these issues. Right. And so one other advantage of these supply chains is sustainability. There's more and more emphasis on sustainability and the idea that something has to be made in China, shipped on a container ship, and then unloaded. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of activity that happens that adds, adds uh, to our carbon footprint. A lot of, in, a lot of companies saying, I would like yeah. to reduce that. And maybe the way to reduce that is move it to, Mexico, move it to the U.S. and take out those that month of uh, or six weeks of activity. Well, it's we had a conversation I think earlier today that went something like this: There's value, okay, and what what is what what is value? Value is what the customer is willing to pay for, right? And the and everything else is waste. Well, does is the right. customer does 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 this stuff moved halfway around the world and back? You know, a cup of peaches. Okay, where's the value, right? I mean, what there is is a ton of waste and not a hell of a lot of value, right? So why do it? 
this is contentious to say, but I'll say it anyway. When I was in automotive, we did value stream mapping. So we would go and walk the whole process from order to cash. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is we would circle anything that was non-value added. And we would always look at transportation as non-value added. And 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 people could argue, yeah, but you can't make the car without it. You know, I understand those arguments, but the the point that the uh, the purist would say is the customer doesn't pay extra because that part traveled. Right? No, <laughs> but he doesn't so, care. All he wants is a car so, that works. Right, and in, in some cases, when it comes to food, people will pay more because it was locally grown. So <laughs> we sure. we have some of those. I'll throw one other thing out there. I've done a lot of business in China in the past. I've worked in Thailand a lot, um, mm-hmm. worked a lot in Europe, all fine. But when I'm working with Mexico or Canada, or right now I work with Lean down in Colombia, they're in my time zone. <laughs> they speak English oh. pretty darn well in all those oh. countries. Oh. And when I went down to San Luis Potosí a few years ago, I went down there a number of times. It was easy. <laughs> sure I went to it is. Texas and then flew down there. Sure. Who when was- I went, used to go to China... It was 18 hours or we used to have oh, a direct yeah. Beijing, Detroit to Beijing flight. That was good. <laughs> oh, you don't, you, have don't to, you don't have, have to, those. you don't have to go there to be miserable. You, you can, all you got to do is have, right. you know, 4 a.m. meetings with these people. I mean, it's just, you know, you show right. up in the your, 12 show up in your jammies difference. with a cup of coffee. I mean, it's miserable and, and it takes you two days. It takes. Yeah, this this podcast right here is produced in Colombia by Natalie sure. and, and Lean sure. Staffing, Lean Solutions sure. Group. Absolutely, and that is easy. She's a, she's one time zone away for she's one hour time difference, not twelve. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's so there's that easier. advantage. So yeah, yep. So we wanted to talk today about three emerging supply chains. The first one again is China is higher risk. Secondly, for all the reasons we just discussed. We want shorter supply chains. Um, one other thing we didn't touch on that is the, the, a lot of people want to get to circular supply chains. And so that, that kind of says shorten it and make it more circular. Last but not least, I want to talk about the last one. So what is the last supply chain trend that we should all be watching? Well, it's your ability to manage them, you know, and manage them short, you know, so this is, this is, these are ideas of, of automation, it's ideas of visibility, it's ideas of artificial intelligence. It's so it's it's shortening not just shortening the size, but shortening the decision cycles within them, so that you can so that you can respond faster, better, less expensive, and so on. Right. So we what we want is we want end to end visibility, and we've all been working on that. We we see her that all the time. That's almost like a, a buzzword, but it's more than just visibility. It's the ability to collaborate and coordinate from the time you get the order to the time you get paid cash, order to cash. Nobody cares what you know. They only care what you do. And and when it, and at the end of the day, if we want visibility, we want it for a reason. What are we doing with that information that we can, that is now visible? Are right. we man, are, 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 again faster, better, cheaper? Right, that same old, same old. And, and that, that, why do we want it? Because it allows us to make better decisions faster. Right. Why have AI? Right. And and in that in that you know you mentioned faster, better, cheaper. Yeah, you mentioned faster, better, cheaper. There's another piece of that which is you know, faster, better, smarter. Right. And which will let, hopefully well, part of the better cheaper. But <laughs> yeah, that's with, part of the better. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And right now, when we when you get an order. 
it, you, you get an order. Let's say you're selling some product that has to be made in China, right? And it goes, mm-hmm. gets, you, the order gets to China and it is produced and then it's, it's transported to the coast and then it's put on a ship and then it's shipped over here. It mm-hmm. sits in the, uh, off the coast of California for two months and then uh, some unloaded <laughs> and, uh, and, well, and shipped. You have this long order to cash, right? And we would like to shorten that order to cash because ideally, if I'm a business owner, I say, I would like to get an order and get paid the same day and have that transaction closed. Be all done. <laughs> right. Well, shorter is right. So guess what? So here's the fun part, right? You get your, you get your product, you put it on a ship, right? How long is it? What's the best case scenario for that ship going from, going from China to the U.S.? How, what's the shortest right. amount of time you can get on that? Well, guess what? It ain't getting yeah, any like shorter. Month, three weeks. Yeah, and you know, and you know, I have perfect visibility. I have perfect visibility. It went onto that ship. I know what it is. I know what the if there's a UPC. I know, I know what container, what bin. I get it serialized. On, I know everything about it. It does me no good. And the reason is because it's still on that ship for that period of time, and that isn't going to get shorter. Right. Period. So right. I mean, it's good. It can get longer, as we know. So we we want the ability to make all these decisions better. So we want these this this and and it's funny the other day I had my friends from Flexport on and they talked about what they are. Is they said we have a global trade platform. I have mm-hmm. Turbo on my podcast and they talk about end to end visibility. Yeah. And what they would also say is logistics collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. So what we're getting to is we're getting to a place where if you're a supply chain, you should be able to say from order to cash, I have visibility. I think right now we have bits and pieces of visibility. Someday soon, I know I think Apple has end-to-end visibility that allows them to do lots of scenario planning. Mm-hmm. You have to, so, so this is about- decisions as a result. So you have to have the ability to make the decision and that's having the information, okay? You have to have the ability to, again, make the decision and then implement it which is going to be hands somewhere else. There's your collaboration. Okay. You have the ability, right. if you want to take time out of it and make that decision spin really, really fast. And the advantage of having it spin right. really fast is in a chaotic environment, the person, the individual that makes the fastest decision is the one that's most advantage and the most likely to survive. Okay. So conceivably, and this right. is part of where this conversation has been going, what is the fastest possible decision? If you drive that to its logical conclusion, what do you get? Well, that's a, that's a, that's some sort of yep. AI. And so what do AIs, right. what do AIs do? They take lots and lots of information, right? The better, the, the more information they have, the better, the better they get, right? So, and then, yep. so what are you saying in terms of a, a platform? Right. This goes back to the idea of, of, of yep. the credit card platform and where you say, well, okay, we've got a, we've got a company over here in a business and it wants to source parts or finish goods from somewhere else. And it wants to sell them in some third place. And I think your guys were saying something along the effects of, look, we can tell you whether it's selling at this particular price in that particular market under these sets of circumstances are, uh, is right. a good thing. You're going to make money or how much you're going to yeah. make and so on. And I, and I think that's I think that's really cool. And then you know I I, I think we, we saw the, the the note out there that said, look, the, the end state of all this is being able to take a slice of that transaction, charge a fee, take a percentage, whatever it is, for the service of of putting all that together. And and right. I think I think that's brilliant. I think it's a great business model. I think you know, and I think the t- the capability is there. 
Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how MasterCard works. So right now, if I was to, let's just say I got Steve's uh, MasterCard and I decide I'm going to Best Buy and I'm going to buy myself a few TVs, the big ones, because it's Steve's card. Sure. <laughs> and I swipe Absolutely. them through and they, and they, and then MasterCard says, Steve, you don't normally buy $20,000 worth of, of, of yeah. big screens. What's going on, right? Sure. That's because the, they have a profile for you. They know, they know how you want to work, right? And so they would might reject that. So it's sort of interesting, right? Back in the 90s, early 90s, uh, the re some really early AI research was done at Los Alamos. And the idea was this problem. They were doing it on behalf of the credit card companies where they were building profiles based upon purchase behavior, and they were able to predict within a range what the next things would be. Namely, you know, is it is this purchase within or outside the expected behavior for this person based on prior prior purchases? Right. And so that went into place. And I don't know if you ever bought something, you know, mid, late 90s, whatever, you get a phone call if it was out and they said, well, wait a minute here, we want to talk to you. Is this really you? And that was that system at work. Right. Well, and, and of course it still exists. And, you know, so for the credit card companies, it's a great thing because it's a service that they offer both the card holder, but also the bank who, who backs the card. And it, it, it takes fraudulent transactions and reduces risk and liability to those parties, which is fantastic, right? right. The big part is it's like, well, so but what's going on? So what they're doing is they're taking this, your history of purchases and they're running a series of algorithms on it. And it's a learning algorithm. In the sense that, okay, it, it creates a profile in an automated way about you and then bases its subsequent decisions on that profile. Well, there's nothing that says, right, right that it has to be purchasing behavior that, that's being operated on. It can be all the other things that we talk about. A much more be complicated selling behavior too. So if I, right. And Steve, I was, when I could still travel, I was traveling, I think it went to Texas. And I remember getting off the plane and I got a text message and it said from my credit card company, are you out of state? <laughs> Did you move? <laughs> right. And so it said, if you're traveling, God is watching. and I just responded, yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. Well, what they mm -hmm. wanted to make sure is that my credit card didn't leave without me. Right. <laughs> it went with sure. somebody else to Texas. So what's, so what we're getting at here is we're going to have, and it's, I've heard people call it, the carrier direct people call it the digital twin. You have a di mm -hmm. So everything that's happening in the real world it has a digital twin. So if I'm end to end visibility, end of connectivity, and mm -hmm. and let's just say Steve, you go to sell something to say, say I'm going to sell this Joker Joe Lynch this. It might before you hit before you hit uh, confirm, it might do an analysis and say that's a good risk, that's good business, that's the right margin for us. Oh, or it might say oh, it this will. is at high risk. Oh yeah, this and dude so can't we're very close to the place where we're. Mm -hmm. Right. So it says, well, it might be something like this. Hey, this is Joe's credit credit profile here. But also sure. we sell to that region. We've had lots of problems lately. 30% of the problems, you know, 30% of the transactions are at risk. Or it could be something like, hey, we have a lot of logistics cost increases there. That's not going to be a profitable deal for you. So when we have this digital twin from order to cash, end to end, it's going to allow supply chain people to say, it's going to let them know whether that's a good deal before they confirm the deal. It's going to do sure. that analysis. And AI can do that a million times a, a year. It can do it a million times a day. <laughs> well, it's even more interesting than that because it doesn't need to be a closed system. So if you go back 20 years, 
you, you can, you know, these, these packages can reach out into other databases to pull all kinds of information and bring it all together in right. such a way that it can be processed through an AI, you know, through, through some sort of AI to, right. to come up with an answer. And it's a question. It's not so much a question of it's not a closed system. I mean, it doesn't have to be just this thing. It can be anything, right? It doesn't have to be buying behavior. Again, to your point, it can be market behavior. Is this a good, is this a good price? I mean, if you go back and you look at high, you know, again, we were talking about high frequency trading and how stuff happens there and how quickly that is, how quick and how that creates a more efficient market. I mean, these are all, these are all things that can happen. And it just, it's just a question of how far do you want to take the technology? And I think they're going to, I think they're, they're going to want to take this a long way. So getting back to the MasterCard analogy, what you were saying mm -hmm. is it could get to a point where this platform, whatever that platform is, is almost like a MasterCard. MasterCard isn't the bank that lent you the money. It's the system no. that allowed the bank to lend you the money and the system that kind of man yes. manages the transactions. Yep. And so you could get to a place where there's a trade platform that says that maybe you're part of it. And I'm, or it could be a technology company that allows this analysis and says, hey, we're going to make sure that Steve is profitable in this sale. So he made... You know, he, he sold all these products. We're going to tell him which ones to to slow down on, right? And sure. and we get that right now for credit. And again, we've always had little pieces of information. I think what we're getting to is an end-to-end -end visibility and collaboration that allow us to do that analysis with these digital twins. And it's happening really quickly. I think the idea so that so if you say what is a digital twin, right? It's a it's a it's a it's a digital representation of something. Okay. So, and it runs of in reality. parallel with reality. <laughs> exactly. It's a model. In the old days, it's like, what are you doing? It, we would, if we were talking about an engineering model, what we'd be doing is, is we'd be, uh, we'd be comparing it to test results and then improving our model based upon the test right. results. It's a calibration of the model with reality, which is the same thing that this is. And, right. you know, the difference is, you know, it spins a heck of a lot faster. It, it, it It's constant you know, additions of information to it. And the model just gets better and better and better over time. And it changes itself and it does all kinds of other things that make this potentially, I mean, incredibly powerful with respect to, right. you know, how good is it? I mean, so here's the fun part, right? You'll have the people who, who have access to this and those people who don't. So they say, well, okay, it's building this model. And we think it should, the AI tells us we should be in this business and these other guys don't have it. And they're like, no, we need to be in this business anyway. Because we think we know more than the AI does. Well, okay. At some point, the right. AI knows more. And then what does everybody use? Everybody uses the AI. Or, or over time, this goes back to the high-frequency trading thing, where all the, all, the, all the platforms converge, and they're all so similar to one another that it's like, well, wait a minute here. There's not much advantage left in that marketplace, right. which is also a way of driving margin right. out of a marketplace, which is kind of interesting, right. too, because suddenly all the competitors are doing the same thing. Yeah. And you think of all these different systems like Shopify or Amazon and, you know, there's a million different scenarios, systems that people use for e-commerce. And if they said, Hey, we're going to help you make more money. We're going to help you weed out the bad deals, right? They've been credit checks in the past, but what if they got to that place where they said, Hey, we, our AI, our AI is very powerful. And as soon as you put that system in there, you say, before you say, confirm that, confirm this transaction, it says, would you like to run a scenario? Would you like to 
would you like this analyzed? You're like, hell yes, I want that analyzed. Tell sure. me if I'm an idiot or not. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing, right? You know, it was that tell me if I'm an idiot. And if you look at so if, you, if you're the manufacturer, you're an idiot the, if you don't listen to it, <laughs> right? Well, well, and the funny part, well, here's the fun part, right? If they're all so, it's like the competitive advantage goes away from the manufacturer to the people who have the AI, right? Because because so yeah. oh, if you if you want to sell in this market, you have to do this. Well, what is the appropriate price? Well, it's whatever, it's whatever, it's whatever, it's $1 more than your fixed cost or $1 more than your vari- fixed plus variable cost. Just enough to let you stay in business if that's how we're feeling that day. And, and it's like, well, maybe we're not feeling. So what happens is suddenly if you're a manufacturer and you've got all this capital, you're, you, you now have a major league problem because right. the margin that's available to you by manufacturing that just got very small because that AI, and when the people who are charging money for it are going to take the lion's share of that margin right. for themselves because they now control that market. Yeah. It's as, as I've said many times on my podcast, this logistics is becoming a business of haves and have nots. You either have dynamic pricing, dynamic pricing, there you go. or you, and, and w- which is a big advantage because it's using the AI or you're not using it and you have some risk that uh, other people who you're competing with just basically can make better decisions yeah, as a result. I think of dynamic. Their- Dynamic Technology. pricing is ex- is exactly what we just and, and uh, is exactly what we just talked about. Right. And it's and it's and have and have nots. It's even worse <laughs> because because you have to have two things. One, you have to have the capital to get into that space to gain access to the AI, and the other the other one that's probably even more rare is is the mindset that says, "Hey, I need this stuff, and I see this as a threat. I can either be part of the change or a victim of it." And it's like, whoa, right. wait a minute here. And if I don't have both, I mean, how many people satisfy both, you know, both conditions in order to do that? Well, less than a hundred percent for sure. And if, and if, you know, and, and the other part of it is yeah. if you look at a Pareto distribution, right? We have an iterative game, winner, 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 loser, winner, loser, winner, loser. And then the rich get richer and the poor right. get poorer. You, at the end of that process, there's only one. And the more time you spin that game and iterate that thing, you get down to a very small number of people or organizations very quickly. So yeah, this is, this is happening. It's going to happen very quickly. Right. Well, it's funny because we are connecting little pieces of the supply chain. And then one day somebody's going to say, you know what? It's almost like where the railroads met. Remember where they had the, and they put somebody put guys that one stake, the final. Put the golden spike in there. Stake in and all of this. Yeah. Yeah, you put the golden spike in and the, and you can run the train. So, Steve, I want to summarize this and I want to get your final thoughts on it. And uh, then we'll wrap this bad boy up. So, again, we're talking about three emerging supply chain trends. And the first one is, and I don't think this is a big su- surprise to anybody, but China is a higher risk place to, to, to business. And, again, for all the reasons we just discussed, the regime is a problem. The population problem is kind of labor arbitrage doesn't work as well anymore. Again, with automation, we can bring – we don't necessarily need to do business with China. They have the housing financial bus going on over there, and they do have infrastructure problems. They have a water problem that's not going to ever go away. <laughs> not in my yeah, lifetime. They, anyway. These guys, sadly, these guys have enough problems where any one of them would be enough to make people kind of back away a little bit. And they've got five or right. six big ones. And again, COVID just COVID just woke us up to this. And again, God bless the Chinese people. I have nothing against any of them. No. I always enjoyed going over there and working with them. Second, secondly, we're, we want shorter supply chains. We're going to get them. That means they're less risky, reduce cost uh, to move stuff, reduce time to move stuff. It's better for sustainability. So we're going to be nearshoring. That's going to be in 
the U.S., in Mexico, Canada, and I suspect also Latin America if we can, you know, depending on the part in the country. And then last but not least, we talked about this. Yeah, they're more nimble and they can. Yeah. So we talked about this end-to-end visibility, and it's more than visibility. It's collaboration and coordination. We're really going to start looking at, you know, and we're going to be able to do analysis on this digital twins. So uh, as you said, which represents a reality. And Mm -hmm. that dynamic pricing that you're seeing that goes on today in freight brokerage, you're going to start seeing that for the whole supply chain. Really, really fast, really good, really cheap decisions. Yep. Look, this is all, this stuff is all happening. It's all good. So what are your final thoughts on this bad boy? Yeah, it's all happening. It's, it's, it's all good. Um, you know, we, you know, the United States and the Western hemisphere is going to do very well with this. And, uh, you know, the process of getting where we're going, I'm not real happy about, but the, the destination, heck yeah, this is terrific. Yeah. And, and the folks that I work with are going to benefit greatly as is probably everybody else, at least here. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I think I think there's some people who might might move have steamships uh, ships that move freight container. <laughs> they, might, they might not be happy, but we'll find something else for them. To, and there's other freight to move. So there's a lot we don't know. <laughs> so I mean, there, this it's all it's all it's all speculation. Who knows at this point, really? S- Steve, if if there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that makes us sound like idiots on this podcast, I'll just go in and delete it. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> you send it to so, Columbia and have it edited out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Natalie knows how to fix these problems. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what's going on with, with you. Who do you serve? What, what's your sweet spot? And uh, what problems do you solve for your clients? Oh, well, I've been serving of late. I've been serving some fairly large corporations and some divisions that have uh, have, have not been doing well, getting uh, getting basically recruiting the army to uh, to help fix the business getting leadership uh, oriented in the right direction in time and hopefully uh, on budget i'm also working with some uh, investment people who uh, who are looking to uh, to put together some companies and uh, and grow them platform and then a a small roll up some technology i have some technology clients who uh, who are involved with the maintenance of networks and the growth of those networks and end markets are all over the place. The problems that are, are are typically being faced are ones of simple profitability or ROI, and you know, as driven by uh, by leadership. And it's not that making right. money is complex; it's it's just sometimes difficult for uh, for uh, the intention to uh, become action and, and results. It's simple, not easy. <laughs> That's a fact. We comp we complicate <laughs> right. things sometimes a little more than we should. Steve, what I'll do is I'll put your contact information in the show notes. And uh, so if anyone wants to reach out to you, they can. And again, Steve has been a great, if you want, take a listen to a whole bunch of my podcast. Steve talks to me a lot about leadership and sales on the podcast. And he's very, very knowledgeable. And again, he's been a great sounding board and mentor for me for many years. So I'll tell you this, this podcast is, has been a, has been a ton of fun, man. I tell you, this is terrific. I hope everybody who's watching it or listening to it is enjoying it as much as I have. <laughs> I think so, and I hope so. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much, Steve. And thank all of you f- for listening. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.